Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 9.16 a.m. Pacific Daylight Time. It is the 17th of May, 2023, and this is episode 728 of Bitcoin. And are you looking for a place to stay in the mountains for a summer vacation? I got the house for you. Three bedrooms, sleeps eight, full kitchen, smack dab in the middle of Colorado's San Juan mountain range. You can see 10,000, 12,000, 13,000 foot peaks in the valley that you're in. And that valley includes a big lake. It's the Vallecito Reservoir. And there's a marina out there and you can rent a boat and you can go hiking. There's hiking trails everywhere. And it's not a big town. In fact, it is the size of what would be called a hamlet. They call it a village up there, but really, honestly, it's kind of a hamlet, right? So. There's wide open spaces. There's only one road in. It's like a two-lane highway. And at night, it's dead silent. And you can see the Milky Way. If you've, if you've never actually looked up at the sky and seen the Milky Way, you're in for a surprise. And if you go up one of the roads that I love the most, Middle Mountain Road, and go up to the top of it at night... And it's a, it's a good road. It's not paved, but you know, you, you can do it. And I would take a four wheel drive. You will see the Milky Way in all of its glory because there's no lights up there. There's no light pollution. It's a completely different thing than seeing it from down in the valley. But <clears throat> this thing goes for $250 a night. It sleeps eight three bedrooms, three full bathrooms. And one of the things that we get off of the 23 five-star reviews that we've gotten on this house is that it's well-stocked. All you have to do is bring yourself, your food, and your clothes, your kids, and we're pet friendly. So if you want to go somewhere spectacular for the summer, consider doing that. There's also several day trips that you can take. You can take the Durango Silverton Narrow Gauge Railway. That is a full day trip. I recommend taking the last train out because you don't have to rush down to town to get to it. And if you take the last train out, you're the last train back, which puts you in Durango, Colorado for a nice dinner. And then by the time you get back to the house, your kids and yourself are going to be tired. It's a full day trip. It takes you through the heart of the San Juan Mountains all the way up to Silverton, Colorado, and then back again. Yeah, I know a lot of people go, ooh, it sounds touristy. It is, but you're never going to see the spine of the San Juan Mountains in any other way. And honestly, it's worth it. I've been on it several times, and even I was one of those guys that was like going, ooh, I don't like touristy stuff. The uh, VBRO 
link is in the show notes. So go go grab some spots. Almost all of July is already gone. All right. And for the hunters out there, September, October, might want to plan your uh, deer hunting trip. Also, I got Shishi21M who's selling you Balking 14 and Balking 4 Comfrey. I can personally vouch for the Balking 4 genetics because I'm the one that raised them and I'm the one that sold them to Shishi21M. And you can find, you can order from Shishi21M at Shishi, that's S-H-I-S-H-I-21M at ProtonMail.com or you can hit them up on Noster at Shishi21M and his his in-pub will be in the thing, in the show notes as well. And this is the way that we do a circular economy. Why? Because he takes payments in Bitcoin. Specifically, I would pay him in Lightning because right now the mempool or mempools are a little, they're a little racked right now. We'll, we'll get into that later. And last guy on my list is my friend Bisnerds. Uh, at Bisnerds on Noster sells the best handmade maple syrup. He's not drop shipping it from somewhere else. He makes it himself. His, he also sells his Sister Sarah's soaps, which I think is actually a great name for that product. Sister Sarah's. That's not, that's just my idea. Anyway, <laughs> but again, Bitcoin circular economy. He sells the best maple syrup I've ever tried. His sister makes the best handmade soaps that I've ever used. There's no reason not to support your brethren in arms when it comes to building a Bitcoin circular economy. Now, on to the news. Tether says it will buy Bitcoin for stablecoin reserves using realized profits. Where have we heard this before? <clears throat> you remember FTX? And, uh, oh, oh, and Terra Luna actually kind of kicked that whole thing off. Actually, it was Terra Luna more than FTX that really kind of started the Bitcoin bull run that led us to, what was it, 68,000 or something like that? Because they kept buying all this Bitcoin and all this. That's what they kept saying and kept saying and kept saying. And of course, we all know what happened. And FTX was bought saying they were buying Bitcoin, but in the end, they never really had it. Now we have Tether. Tether's been around as the stable coin for the longest time. And all of a sudden, now they're going to start backing their reserves with Bitcoin. I would be, I am skeptical. That's all I'm going to say. It's not that I don't believe in Tether. I don't really listen to the Tether FUD. I don't use Tether or any stable coins because I don't need it. But Tether's the thing. And there's a lot of people that are keep bringing up Tether FUD. Well, now they're going to add to it, I guarantee you, because the company is buying Bitcoin. Uh, Christian Sandor for Coindesk.com. A stablecoin issuer Tether will regularly buy Bitcoin for its stablecoin reserves using a portion of its profits starting this month as part of a new investment strategy focused on the largest cryptocurrency by market cap. The firm announced this on Wednesday. Tether said it will allocate up to about 15% of the realized profits from investments, including any unrealized price appreciation of its reserve assets to purchase BTC and will add the tokens to the reserve surplus. The company will custody the BTC stash on its own without using any third-party custodians, according to the statement. 
The development comes after Tether, the company behind the largest stablecoin on the market, the $82 billion USDT, revealed last week that it holds $1.5 billion worth of BTC and $3.4 billion of gold among the assets that backs the value of USDT and its smaller stablecoins. Some 85% of the reserves are held in cash and cash-like assets such as U.S. Treasury bonds, oh boy, according to its 2023 Q1 attestation, stablecoins, now a $131 billion asset class, have become a crucial building block of the cryptocurrency infrastructure, facilitating trading and transactions between government-issued fiat currencies and digital tokens by keeping their price anchored to an external asset, usually the United States dollar. The firm's BTC purchase campaign aims to strengthen and diversify the stablecoin reserves, while capitalizing on its price appreciation as an investment, the press release said. Bitcoin has continuously proven its resilience and has emerged as a long-term store of value with substantial growth potential, Paolo Ordoino, chief technology officer at Tether, said in a statement. Quote, our investment in Bitcoin is not only a way to enhance the performance of our portfolio, but it is also a method of aligning ourselves with the transformative technology I'm getting even more skeptical here, man. The company said it will exclusively utilize realized profits from its investment operations for buying BTC, disregarding unrealized capital gains. It means that the firm considers, quote, only the tangible gains from its operations in, quote, consisting of the difference between the purchase price and net proceeds from an asset sale or in case of maturing assets such as T-bills, between the purchase price and the reimbursed amount per the statement. Tether said that it also focuses on developing communication systems, energy, and Bitcoin mining infrastructure amongst its smaller investments. For years, Tether has been criticized within the crypto industry for its lack of transparency about its reserves and controversial investment decisions. However, the firm's flagship token, USDT, emerged as a safe haven in March as the United States regional banking crisis hit circles USDC, the second largest stablecoin. The sudden implosion of Silicon Valley Bank left a part of USDC's cash reserves frozen at the bank over a weekend and several stablecoins lost their dollar peg temporarily in a knock-on effect. Tether came out of the calamity as a clear winner by maintaining its price stability due to its perceived disconnection from U.S.-based banks being incorporated in the British Virgin Islands and Hong Kong. USDT circulation has grown 24% this year, while most rivals have suffered significant outflows. All right, so what do you think about this? I mean, they didn't say, or this particular report said nothing about how they're going to prove their Bitcoin reserves, which is what? Being able to prove your Bitcoin reserves is as easy as signing a message in a block. Just make a transaction, sign it and say, we are Tether, this is our wallet, and you'll be able to see how much Bitcoin is in that wallet. It's that simple, right? There's no reason not to do that. The question is, will Tether do that? If they don't, then I don't buy this at all. I don't, or at least I won't. So be careful about this one, guys. Seriously. If, If you like Tether, you hate Tether, you're neutral on Tether like I am, 
I still, I just get really itchy nowadays when people say we're buying Bitcoin to do X or Y. And it's like this, you know, this big grandiose gesture like the Terra Luna stuff. And then what happens? Yeah, see, that, I, I, I don't like it. You know, I'm not, eh, I'm not calling for doom or gloom. I'm just saying, just don't do that thing where, oh, well, everything's going to be okay because Tether's buying Bitcoin. Don't, don't do that shit. And now, on to what may, but probably won't, decrease pressure on the Bitcoin mempools around the world. Tom Mitchell Hill is writing this one for Cointelegraph. Lightning Labs launches updated protocol to help solve Bitcoin's BRC20 issues. Not sure if I like this one either, but it's happening, so be aware. Bitcoin users have been given a possibly more efficient way to mint new assets on the blockchain after an updated edition of the recently rebranded Taproot Assets Protocol was released by Lightning Labs. In a May 16th blog post, Lightning Network infrastructure firm Lightning Labs criticized the current methods by which assets are inscribed on the Bitcoin blockchain, calling them particularly inefficient and pointed to cumbersome protocols that write asset metadata directly into the block space. Yeah, we know. The Taproot Assets Protocol is designed to operate maximally off-chain in order to avoid network congestion that has become an unfortunate characteristic of the Bitcoin network since the inception of the BRC20 token standard by anonymous developer Domo on March the 8th. Lightning Labs said protocol users could soon integrate BRC20 assets into the Lightning Network with wallets, exchanges, and merchants ported over instead of needing to bootstrap a new ecosystem from scratch. Domo has previously said that the Taproot Asset Protocol is a far better solution for minting new assets on Bitcoin when compared to the pre-existing methods like JavaScript Object Notation, or JSON, as it allows for users to easily transfer to the Lightning Network for fast and cheap transactions. The overwhelming majority of BRC20 tokens created thus far utilize ordinal inscriptions of JSON data to deploy token contracts, mint tokens, and transfer them. This method has drawn, well, widespread criticism from developers who claim the process costs four times as much in transaction fees compared to just using binary. The Taproot Asset Protocol is the rebranded version of the original Tarot Protocol. Lightning Labs was forced to change the name of the software following what it called a frivolous trademark infringement suit filed against them by blockchain development firm Terry Labs on December the 8th of last year. The total value of BRC20 tokens briefly surpassed the $1 billion mark on May the 9th, but has shrunk back down to $500 million, a drop of nearly 50%. Oh, good Lord. All right, so yes, there's a huge white paper that Lightning Labs released uh, yesterday or possibly the day before that talks about the ins and outs of, of all of this. But this is essentially what is going on. Instead of putting bullshit tokens on Bitcoin's actual time chain, now we can put bullshit tokens on the Lightning Network. Now, I don't like the whole notion of minting all this crap, whether it's on the time chain itself or on layer two or layer three, I don't care. It's a waste of time. And all it is, is just a way for people to transfer money from your wallet 
to their wallet and they're going to be the winners. But be that as it may, the word on the street is, well, now we're going to screw up Lightning Network. I don't think so. I think Lightning Network, if we had to make the choice, Lightning Network is the optimal way to do this. That's my opinion. I don't have the background to be able to say that that is a fact, right? I'm just, it's a gut feeling. However, here's the thing. How many people are going to use it? The network effect of BRC20 on Bitcoin's time chain already pretty much set in stone. So we'll have to see whether or not people start migrating over to using or minting BRC20s on the Lightning Network rather than on the Bitcoin time chain. They could do this on the Liquid Network, but they, they're not, are they? They're just continuously doing, doing it on the Bitcoin time chain. Questions that arise from this is, will this prove that the BRC20 and Ordinal's inscriptions thing is going to be just nothing but an attack on Bitcoin? And I think that the answer very well could look like it, yes, if nobody migrates over to doing this stupid stuff over on Lightning. But there's no way to prove that. It could just simply be, hey, I don't, I don't want to learn how to do anything new. I love my BRC20, and I'm just going to continue doing what I always do because, you know, network effect. So, but it's there. <clears throat> if any of you are out there and you know people that are using, you know, doing this whole BRC20 thing, you know, at least say, hey, you got a choice to possibly do it on Lightning. Maybe we can, maybe it'll help alleviate some of the block space because like, you know, right now we're at like over 200 blocks waiting to clear. But that's what's going on with that. Now, Bitcoin slides below $27,000 as investors eye debt ceiling negotiations. This is from Jocelyn Yang out of Coindesk in case anybody wants to know what the hell happened between last night and today. Bitcoin continued its slightly downward consolidation on Tuesday, slipping just below 27000 as investors kept close attention on the debt ceiling negotiations in Washington. The largest cryptocurrency by market cap was recently trading at 26950 down roughly 1.3% for the day. While Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen warned that the U.S. is projected to breach the debt limit as early as June 1 and said a default, quote, could lead to a recession, end quote, several analysts believe a resolution to the debt ceiling issue could potentially buoy Bitcoin. Quote, the current macroeconomic macro situation is, in our view, conducive for increased crypto adoption, Joe D. Pasquale, CEO of crypto fund manager Bitbull Capital, told Coindesk in an email, quote, the debt ceiling getting raised also bodes well for risk assets as market participants seek to secure wealth, he added. Lucas Otomuro, head of research at blockchain analytics firm Into the Block, told Coindesk that there could certainly be a bid for BTC whether or not there's a deal on the debt ceiling. Otomuro sees the impact of these negotiations and the ongoing bank crisis as similar. Quote, they both highlight the weaknesses of the system and create doubt about their long-term sustainability, thus creating demand for potential alternatives like crypto. 
And then there's something about Ether, and I'm just going to skip that because it's bullshit. The Coindesk Market Index, which measures overall crypto market performance, was down 1.1% for the day. Equity markets closed lower on Tuesday with the Dow Jones Industrial Average sliding 1% and the S&P 500 down 0.6. Tech-heavy NASDAQ off by 0.2. Bond markets, the two-year Treasury yield, rose six basis points to 4.08% while the 10-year was up three basis points to 3.54. So it's this jitters in the market in general. There's not any real news about Bitcoin, like it's been banned in China or mining is going to halt in Montana. It has nothing to do with any of that. This is just market participants looking at what the hell Janet Yellen is saying and getting a little sketchy, right? And by the way, when she says, what, what was it that she actually said? Oh, yeah. She said that a default could lead to a recession. Yeah, (laughs) that's not all she said. She, I think, I believe she actually used the word catastrophic, right? She's not helping. (laughs) She is not helping matters very much at all. And neither is Ledger. Now, I brought it to you yesterday, but they've really screwed this one up. Ledger hardware wallet. I stopped using because it's a shitty wallet. It's a shitty piece of hardware. It's a shitty device. It's, it does not work very well um, because it's always needing to up, upgrade its firmware. I've got two of them that are bricked and one that still works. And I use the one that still works uh, simply to sign, <clears throat> to sign all, my, you know, all of my Bitcoin holdings from that wallet address over to a brand new cold card uh, seed phrase that I generated off the cold card. So I got nothing, I got nothing to do with Ledger anymore. All right. So here's what here's what's going on from a guy named Seth for Privacy. He's got a thread on Twitter that I'm gonna read to you because it seems like it's it's pretty well thought out as to what exactly is going on. So buckle up. Ledger recover a thread. Last night, Ledger accidentally linked, leaked some info on their new recovery subscription service, and today they revealed the details. Let's walk through the proposed solution. The core premise of the offering is the ability to supposedly encrypt shards of your seed phrase into three pieces, give over your identity plus a selfie recording, and then trust three custodians to secure those shards for you. Here's why that's problematic. In order to use the system at all, you have to connect your identity to your Ledger account, giving yet another KYC pain point for data leaks, hacks, and government censorship or surveillance. Now you're trusting a third party with your info on your identification and info on all of your crypto. Not only can leaks or hacks occur, the sales of data on users of Ledger would be extremely valuable now and in the future, and any of the authorized third parties could decide to leverage your data as an income stream at any moment. This also continues to harm your privacy. Most Ledger users use Ledger Live, software that uses Ledger's nodes for all wallet syncing, revealing every detail of your cryptocurrency activity and making it trivial for Ledger to link this to your ID itself. All of this KYC data is collected by a company called OnFido. 
who handles the KYC onboarding. They keep your ID, pictures, videos, sounds from your selfie video, and a holistic picture of your device and current activity when you upload or verify identity. Anafido has a complete picture of your identity and the fact that you are a Ledger user and thus that you hold a reasonably large amount of cryptocurrency. They also have a holistic picture of the device you use for authentication. So now not only are you trusting Ledger and authorized third parties with your identity data, you're trusting on Fido with that and much more along with the knowledge that you hold and use large amounts of cryptocurrency nightmare fuel that easily enables new threats. Now for the technical aspects. First, it's important to understand that we have 100% trust ledger here. <laughs> we have to, sorry, we have to 100% trust ledger here as the code for this entire process is closed source. Closed source, <laughs> Jesus. And because of that, it's unverifiable. This is extremely important as no one but them can verify what actually happens or their security. If all works is said, in theory, your seed never leaves your device in an unencrypted state. We cannot verify this and be sure it's done securely or encrypted properly, however. But this does mean there is now code running on your ledger designed to send your seed over USB. That's right, send your seed over USB, ladies and gentlemen. Not only does this mean that the wallet you thought made sure your seed never left the device can now become hot with a few key presses. That also opens up massive new attack vectors for phishing and malware that can prompt you unwittingly to send your seed phrase to them. We cannot be sure that Ledger built in safeguards against someone sending the encrypted shards all to one person or that Ledger actually sends the shards to three different custodians. We also can't be sure that the shards can only be decrypted by you. What's completely unclear is how this decryption process during restore actually works. You have to log in and verify your ID, but if decryption can only happen on your device, how does your new device get the decryption key? Normally in E2EE schemes, you need a way to approve a new device and send it a decryption key. But in case of losing your ledger, you can't do that. So someone else must have a copy of the decryption key they send to your ledger when you recover. So who in the world has this decryption key? Is it ledger? Is it somehow encrypted behind your ledger recover login plus your ID verification? If so, how's it stored? What encryption is used? And how can we verify any of this? Another point, if anyone were to know that you used Ledger Recover and get your identity, they can now theoretically steal all of your cryptocurrency despite your ledger sitting safe and sound in a drawer somewhere. Lastly, this opens up a massive government slash law enforcement seizure risk as at least one custodian, CoinCover, and the identity provider on FIDO are UK based. The third custodian is not named in the official document, but was previously revealed to be escrow tech. <clears throat> if escrow tech is still the third custodian, they're United States based, which would put two thirds of the companies within five eyes jurisdiction, the UK and the US. The government can easily come knocking and request all hodlers ID information and then seize funds at will. 
I absolutely cannot believe that Ledger thought this was a good idea as it breaks all of the previous reasoning for using their hardware wallet and introduces KYC directly into the mix for any who opt into this. It's abhorrent and extremely sad to see. Ledger has lost the plot and gotten blinded by their success and their aggressively closed source nature makes it even harder to to trust any of their claims. Time to get your hammers out and then find a new open source freedom oriented hardware wallet. All right, yeah, I would not smash your ledger before you used it to, you know, sign a, a message. And honestly, here's the thing. You don't really need your ledger. You don't, you really don't. <clears throat> if you use, especially if you have your own node, you can connect Electrum to it, right? And that way you can just, all you have to do is if you have your seed phrase, you can use Electrum. And it is, well, you need your seed phrase and you need the, oh, what do they call it? The pathway. Um, oh, what the hell? Uh, it's like, it's like slash 40 slash something slash this slash that. And it, it, what it does is it says, okay, well, this is a seed phrase, but we need to kind of know the encryption scheme that, it, that the seed phrase was used so that we can do it. If you were a good little boy or girl and wrote down all the information when you spun up your seed phrase on whatever device, you should have that information and it should be backed up either on paper or in steel or God knows something. But when you have all that information, you can use Electrum and sign a transaction from Electrum. So you don't necessarily need the ledger to do this, which means that you don't necessarily need any hardware wallet to sign a message. Okay, so that's that's always been something that's kind of worried me is that you, know, you just get a ledger, like, you know, I don't need your cold card. I've got your, your seed phrase and I'll just plug it into Electrum and there we go. So keep your seed phrases very secure, as secure as you can. But yeah, I guess you can kind of smash your ledger first and then do it. But if that kind of rankles your brain, use your ledger, sign a transaction and get it over to a cold card. Novak over at CoinKite is running a 15% off deal. If you look at, I mean, I put it on the, on the show art, the promo code that he gave everybody for 15% off of a cold card Mark IV. Just look at the, you can look at my show notes yesterday, or you can just look at the, the, the cover art for yesterday's show. And it's right there. I plugged that promo code in yesterday and it was going to give me 15% off. I already own a cold card, but I just did it to test. And yes, that code actually works. So if you want 15% off of a cold card Mark four and get your ass off of ledger and have nothing to do with these people ever again, well, then go do that. <clears throat> now, on to Relay. Relay introduces monthly zero-fee Bitcoin purchases, BTC Casey, Bitcoin Magazine. Relay, a Swiss non-custodial Bitcoin app, has announced the launch of zero-fee Bitcoin purchases in order to attract more users. The new offering allows users to make one fee-free Bitcoin purchase per month for up to 100 euros by offering a zero fee purchase option to its user base of over 70,000 individuals, Relay hopes to encourage more individuals to explore the benefits of owning Bitcoin. 
In addition to the zero fee trading launch, Relay explained that it recently made improvements to its user interface, making it even easier for users to onboard and use core functions like buying and selling. The press release states that these efforts have contributed to the company's success, with March 2023 being its best month to date, according to the company. Relay reported a 21, was it 251? Hold on, I got a thing. Yeah, 215% year-on-year revenue growth since March of 2022, along with a 53% increase compared to February 2023. So if you want one fee-free Bitcoin purchase per month, uh, you might want to look into uh, Relay, and I'm assuming that you have to be in the uh, European Union to be able to do that. But let's look back here at home as we run the numbers. Before we get into the numbers of the market today, I do want to mention that I've been invited, actually I was asked, not invited, but I was asked to volunteer for the Washington Cattlemen's Association, kind of meet the public conversation with a rancher thing that they got going on down there at Washington State University. So I'm going to be there answering questions about cattle, even though I'm not a cattleman. And this and and the person that invited me to do it, she knows this. I, I've met her. She's like the District Two representative for the Washington Cattlemen's Association. I've met her on several occasions. She knows that I don't run cattle. I'm I'm no hat no cattle, and she knows that. And yet she gives me this email, runs me this email on Monday, and says we're really light on volunteers being able to talk to the public about how the community of cattle ranchers around here raise their cattle and how they help feed the community. And would you do me a favor? Could you come out and help? Just, you know, talk to the people that want to, you know, have their questions about raising cattle and what, what it means. Uh, if, if you could a- answer their questions, I'd really appreciate it. And I'm like, dude, I'd be more than happy to. So I have no idea what I'm walking into. So wish me luck. Tell me to break a leg or whatever. And that, uh, you know, oh God, don't let me screw this up kind of thing. But I'm really excited about it because even though I don't run cattle, I know enough cattle ranchers and I've had enough discussions with them that I don't think I'm talking out of my ass when I talk about how cattle and general ruminants are related to soil health. Because without one, you don't have the other. If the soil dies, you can't run ruminants on it. If the ruminants are taken away, the soil will die. These things, grasslands and prairie lands and soil in in those environments and ruminants have been co-evolving for millions of years. They're dependent on each other. You can't take the cows off of the ground without the ground dying. So I'm going to do my best for Washington Cattlemen's Association. Wish me luck. Now let's talk about the markets. CNBC futures and commodities got West Texas Intermediate Oil up 2.81% to 72.85. Brent North Sea likewise up 2.6% to 76.93. Natural gas uh, is up a full point, $2.40 per thousand cubic feet. 
And I got gasoline up 3.45%. Yeah, it looks like uh, gasoline reserves were, you know, kind of down this morning, according to Zero Hedge. So we're now looking at $2.56 for a gallon of gas on average, I guess. I don't know if that's average or whatever. But gold is down a third of a point, still below 2000 1986. That was a good year, by the way. 1986 was one of my favorite years. Silver is up scant to $23.90. Platinum up 1.6. Copper up 2.3. Palladium is down almost a full point. Ag wheat is down 3.82%, followed by corn, which is down 3.83%. And uh, what's the biggest winner is cotton, 3.07%. I got live cattle up 0.2, lean hogs down 3, over 3, 3.12%. Feeder cattle are down a quarter of a point, but the Dow rocking it 1.03% to the upside. S&P is happy too, 0.8% up. NASDAQ happy, 0.7% up. And the S&P mini is up 1.39%. I got real money. No. Oh, where did my real money go? Oh, no. Hold on. I got to get bid info charts back. Good Lord. I wonder what happened. It's not there. Anyway. Okay. Here we go. $26,772.23. That's after 424,000 BTC has exchanged hands hands in the last 24 hours. Average transaction value, 0.7 BTC. Median transaction value is $9.19. Block times are very low this morning. Eight minutes and 34 seconds. We've got 0.57 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis, 92.6 BTC taken overall in the last 24 hours in fees. With a 5.18% increase in hash rate, we're back up to 374.7 exahashes per second. Dogecoin, for whatever reason, is actually gaining ground this morning. Uh, 7.4 United States pennies. So I guess that means the rest of the shitcoin crew are happy. What? I, I don't know. I, I don't, I've never understood it. <clears throat> $521.3 billion of market capitalization is 3.89% of gold's market cap. There are 19,376,011.96 Bitcoin in circulation, of which 5,305.2 are in the Lightning Network valued at $142.7 million dollars. We've got 71,990 payment channels that we know about. And on May the 17th, oh, that's today sometime, we have an estimated difficulty change of 3.2%. So it looks like they're going to rock the hash rate today until the difficulty change. And what happens after the difficulty change? It's hash rate's probably going to drop immediately and precipitously. That's my call. I'm just going off of what's happened in the past. I don't have any insider info on it, but that's my guess. After this difficulty adjustment to the upside, there's going to be a decrease in hash rate on the other side. Now, mempool, what's going on? Well, 209 blocks carrying 268,000 unconfirmed transactions are waiting to clear. Low priority transactions coming in at 54 Satoshis per V-byte. 72 Satoshis per V-byte for high-priority transactions, so act accordingly. I asked, y'all answered, I'm back in the top 10 at number 10. (laughs) But hey, you got, like I said, I asked, y'all answered, Fatoshi with 6102 says, top 50 Bitcoin podcast, 
I reply saying top 10 or bust. Nick underscore dose comes back with already top 10 in my opinion. Thanks, Nick. That's always appreciated. Henry GQJ, I think is how you say it because the way the characters are all, they're kind of bunched together, so I don't know. 5,000 Satoshis. Thanks, bro. Uh, he says, thank you. Won't be touching a ledger now. As someone who has seen both Bocking 4 and 14, how do you tell the difference? I have 14, but I've never seen 4 for sale anywhere here in the UK, and it's got to be here somewhere. Yeah, I'm surprised. Now, how to tell the difference? I did a scan amount of research for that uh, that question for you, and I came up with not a whole lot, but... There is some anecdotal evidence that suggests that you can tell Bocking 14 because the flowers are blue, just blue. Whereas Bocking 4, the flowers are purple or magenta or coral or something that's got a lot more red in it. One of the other things that I've heard is that Bocking 4, the leaves, like if you take a leaf, it's it's wider or it's longer than it is wide on all comfrey. But Bocking 14, it seems to be not as wide as it is long. So on Bocking 4, the leaves should be fat looking, right? Whereas Bocking 14, they should be more slender. That's all I can do for you. Because the only other thing <laughs> that I found out was that Bocking 4's taproots don't go down as far as Bocking 4. But since all that shit's underground, unless you dig it up, and I mean dig wildly to get down to the three, six to eight feet depths that we're talking about here, yeah, that's probably not the best way to tell. There's the weather report for you. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. UK Treasury Committee urges government to regulate crypto as gambling. <laughs> like the markets aren't gambling. Oh my God. Decrypt.co. Tim Hockey has it for you. Betting on crypto may soon be regulated as traditional gambling in the U United Kingdom. The UK's House of Commons Treasury Committee, a cross-party committee of members of parliament formed to examine the expenditure, administration, and policies of the British Treasury, has recommended the government regulate crypto trading as gambling, according to a new report. The proposal would mean that the Gambling Commission would oversee crypto activities in the UK using the Gambling Act of 2005 as its guide. It would provide advice and guidance to individuals and businesses without or about preventing what it calls problem gambling with crypto while applying safeguards like anti-money laundering and, of course, counter-terrorist financing to the industry. Crypto trades would also be taxed as gambling, possibly with levies to support the debt advice and addiction services for which it will fuel demand. Oh, for God's sakes. Unsurprisingly, the committee was thin on praise for cryptocurrencies, saying only that the most convincing use case for crypto is to improve the efficiency and reduce the cost of making international payments. Well, that's actually rather important, by the way. The report recommends the government takes a balanced approach to supporting the industry's development, warning that unbacked crypto assets with no intrinsic value like Bitcoin and shitcoin number one are of particular concern requiring a different approach. 
The committee then flagged crypto's inherent price volatility as a catalyst for substantial gains or losses while serving no useful social purpose. This prompts the committee to conclude that crypto more closely resembles gambling than a financial service, an impression reinforced by the evidence we have received on consumer behavior, end quote. Oh, God. The report also cautions that if the UK government regulates retail trading and investment activity as financial service, per the current approach, this would create a halo effect that leads consumers to believe that this activity is safer than it is or protected when it is not. The committee therefore strongly recommends that the government regulate crypto trading and investments as gambling consistent with its stated principle of same risk, same regulatory outcome. Initial industry reactions to the report are negative. <laughs> Gee, you think? Co-founder and COO of crypto trading platform Phenam Digital Ivan Ivanchenko said treating cryptocurrency trading as gambling would be a backward step for the UK's digital currency aspirations and another demonstration that the country is fast becoming a sea of red tape. In a statement shared with the press, the board advisor of UK's Crypto Trade Association, Crypto UK Ian Taylor, highlighted that the Treasury's report conflicts with the Treasury's previous proposal to bring crypto in line with existing financial regulations. Quote, Crypto UK strongly disagrees with the Treasury Committee's conclusion, and we are both concerned and disappointed by these claims, which are unhelpful, false, fundamentally flawed, and unsubstantiated. The statement fails to reflect the true nature, purpose, and potential of the crypto industry, said Taylor. The controversial new report already has many in the industry up in arms as the British government already signaled that it would welcome crypto, planning to bring the industry within the remit of existing financial legislation. Last April, the government announced plans to make the UK a global crypto asset technology hub. At the time, the Chancellor of the Exchequer, Rishi Sunak, said in a prepared statement, quote, It is my ambition to make the UK a global hub for crypto asset technology, and the measures we've outlined today will help to ensure firms can invest, innovate, and scale up in this country. Sunak's primary proposal toward crypto regulation involved regulating stablecoins as a recognized form of payment under the existing regulatory regime. In a recent consultation paper, the government announced a plan to bring crypto firms in line with the existing Financial Services and Markets Act of 2000, which governs traditional trading venues. The British government had also announced early last year that it was working with the Royal Mint, the official manufacturer of Britain's coins, to produce an NFT that was initially going to be issued by summer, although according to the committee's report, the venture is now officially dead. In the water. About the cancelled NFT, the British Chancellor of the Exchequer, or their finance manager, Jeremy Hunt, told the Treasury Committee, quote, We always want to be at the cutting edge of new technology in the UK, but the world has changed significantly since then, and we are not convinced that the demand will be there in the same way. Yeah, NFTs, just stay away from it. You know, at least they got that right. Right. <laughs> but gambling, okay. I mean, I get where they're going. I, under, I totally understand this because it looks to me like most of crypto trading is just a gambling addiction. But how's that not like people in, you know, day traders trading on Robinhood? I mean, even though that Robinhood, the portal, allows access to, to traditional financial markets per se, the app itself is 
possibly making it like a gambling addiction for United for at least the United States citizenry. I don't know. There's no reports on it. I mean, I, I just have a gut feeling that ever since Robin Hood came out, that people fancy themselves as day traders and they're going to make a killing on the markets by, you know, selling high and buying low. And of course, never realizing that they can never time the markets, especially with Robin Hood, considering that they're using the trading data to counter trade against their own customers. We know that is a fact. That's not a gut feeling. Robin Hood uses the data scraped from their users to counter trade directly against their users because why wouldn't you? You're gathering all this intelligence about what the market's doing at the grassroots level, i.e. retail. And of course you're going to trade against that because you know what they're doing. You have significant market intelligence, but that's not helping retail. They just keep pressing the buttons and selling this oil company to buy this other company and thinking that they're selling high when they're really selling low. And it, how's that not gambling? Now, while that's in, I'm talking about stuff in the United States and we're clearly talking about the gambling issue that's going on with the right one to regulate in the UK. I get the fact that it's, it's different from, from the regulatory regimes, but Holy shit guys, on what planet do you think that gambling addictions does not occur even at scale in financial markets around the world. I'm just saying, I mean, you should, they should actually regulate the whole damn thing as gambling. And here we go into when we talk about anything even related to something like a gambling commission. Can you spell the word mafia? I'll let you think on that while I drink some coffee. Gaming commission gambling commission, any of these commissions, I guarantee you are either infiltrated directly by organized crime outside of government officials or have so much pressure put on them by outside government official mafioso, you know, like kneecapper McGinty that they're going to always side with the organized crime. Even the Texas Alcohol, Alcoholic Beverage Commission has been infiltrated by the mafia, in my opinion. How do I know that? Well, I can't prove it. But when you're sitting at the bar, the bar in Midland, Texas, and that's the name of this particular bar, it's called The Bar. So it's always confusing saying, where are you going? The Bar. And even people in Midland are going, well, which one? And then you go, no, the bar. Anyway, I'm sitting at the bar, at the bar, inside the bar. And I'm talking to a guy I went to high school with. This was years ago. A couple of guys with badges, cowboy boots, and hats roll into this place without even a please or a thank you or a may I walk behind the counter and point to the guy that I'm talking to. And they they just do that thing where they're like, come here. And without even blinking, this dude grabs his, you know, those little bank bags that you put money in for deposits that you, you know, the little zipper on the top, you know, those things. He, before he even moves, he grabs that and he takes it to them. And then he goes behind, behind closed doors, talks to these two dudes in hats, comes back, 
puts his money bag back on the counter, not on the counter, but behind the counter where he's, you know, behind the register. And I ask him, I go, what the hell was that all about? And he's like, T-A-B-C. And I go, well, what the hell do they want? It's like, it's like 12.30 a.m. And he's, he just holds his, his, his hand up, looks at me, and rubs his thumb against his middle finger and his forefinger, which is the universal symbol for money. They shook him down. And they shook down the wait staff, and they shook down the kitchen staff. They shook down everybody that worked in that building. And then they just left. They weren't asking to see licensure. They weren't coming to do an inspection. They came to shake down the bar crew for cold hard cash. And they did it with their TABC badges on. I saw it with my own eyes. It's bullshit. But every time you get around gambling commissions, the ATF, TABC, anything like that, I guarantee you, it's just as bad as organized crime if it is not directly infiltrated by organized crime itself. So just keep that shit in mind. Now, a new survey says Bitcoin is safer than the United States dollar. <laughs> really? This is, who's writing? Let's see if anybody's writing. Oh yeah, Marcel Peckman is writing it for Cointelegraph. On May 17th episode of The Market Report, analyst and writer Marcel Peckman discusses whether Bitcoin is safer than the United States dollar, considering the risk of the United States government defaulting on its debt. The first news article covered discusses a Bloomberg market survey showing Bitcoin as the top three asset in the event of a United States debt default. For Peckman, it is no surprise that Bitcoin trumps fiat currencies in investors' picks, considering the central banks from the Eurozone, Japan, Canada, England, and Switzerland boosted their borrowing programs from the United States Federal Reserve in March of 2023. There's a high correlation to fiat currencies putting the asset class at significant risk if a U.S. default debt or debt default happens. Peckman predicts that investors' allocations in gold would be 10x higher than Bitcoin's due to the cryptocurrency's lower market capitalization and high volatility. On the positive side, 11% of retail investors would add Bitcoin to their portfolio in the event of a government shutdown versus 46% for gold. What are the odds of Bitcoin breaking above $100,000 in the case of a government shutdown? <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> we don't know. But yeah, so we've got a report that says that a lot of, you know, that a, a very significant amount of people are looking at Bitcoin and gold as some kind of safe haven against uh, United States debt default. What do I think the chances are? I don't know, man. That's like rolling dices to see what they're going to do. But we've done it before. See, that's the thing. We had this problem back with Obama. And we've had this problem well before Obama. We've had soft defaults. We've had hard defaults. We've had government shutdowns. We've had all kinds of shit. This is nothing new. And, and that whole, the whole speech and thing that, you know, that all the, it doesn't matter if they're Democrat or Republican, it's whoever, whoever holds, you know, the majority, like if the Republicans hold the, you know, the Senate and the uh, president, you know, then the Republicans rule and, and vice versa for the Democrats and all that kind of stuff. It doesn't matter whoever's in whatever party's in power will always say that the United States has never defaulted on its debt and we never will. And that's a lie. We've defaulted on our debt several times, especially since the inception 
of the Federal Reserve System. So there you go. Uh, I just buy Bitcoin and I hold Bitcoin. That's all I'm going to say about that. Now, ChatGPT adds web browsing feature to rival Google Bard and Microsoft Bing. All right. AI, not Bitcoin, right? So why the hell am I even talking about it? Well, I have been very skeptical on whether or not artificial intelligence and things like ChatGPT 4, 3, uh, Diffuse, you know, uh, was it? Diffuse engine, I can't remember. And and then like stuff like Midjourney and all these things, right? That it was going to catch on, but I'm wrong. It's catching on and it's never going away. You can wish it away. You can pray it away. You can get on your knees and pray to ball and sacrifice a, you know, a red fox or something to ball and say, please make AI go away. And none, no, it, no, no, it's not going away. And if something is not going away, then we actually probably have to start learning how to use it. I highly recommend, and you're probably going to hate me for this. I get it. And I understand if you want to, if you want to blast me in a boostagram, even at 50 sats, I'll probably read it. Just try not to be hurtful. Try to make a good point. But I'll read it and I'll listen to you, except it's not going away. There's, you can't let that whole thing. Like, should we have a pause on the development of AI? Good luck. Let's say everybody in whoever asked those questions got answered by whoever they asked them to and said, yes, let's do that. Here's a regulation. Here's a set of laws. It's not going to stop development of AI. Cat's already out of the bag. Genie's out of the bottle. Kittens are in the bag, whatever you want to, you know, whatever you want to say. And there's no putting this genie back in the bottle. There's no putting the kittens back in the bag. It's just, it just is. So now what do you do? Well, learn how to use it for one. Two, start pontificating on what it means to you and your future. Will it displace you? Could it affect your job? Is there a way that you can learn how to use AI and have it positively affect your job and your future? Because AI, when you get down to it, it's just a tool. It depends on how it's used, for what reason it's being used, and who's using it to do what. The outcome doesn't depend on the tool. The outcome depends on the tool's usage. If I have a hammer and I'm out in the middle of the street on my hands and knees, just pounding the hammer into the street, I just look like an idiot and I'm not doing anything. If I use that hammer to drive a nail into two different pieces or two pieces of wood, I've got two pieces of wood that are nailed together. At least something occurred that didn't happen before. AI is no different. So we're in this weird thing. We got we got Bitcoin. Now we've got Noster. And we need to start looking at AI. If you're not going to look at it, if you're just going to put your head in the sand and wish it away, good luck. Because honestly, you're going to get steamrolled by this shit. You really are going to, yes, it's one more thing to have to learn about. I get it. I got to do it too. 
because I'm, I'm actually a little bit late, but we're all still early again. We're all early to everything because all this shit's brand new. So let's get into this one from Jose Antonio Lons from Decrypt.co. OpenAI recently leveled the playing field in the realm of artificial intelligence chatbots with a notable update to its chat GPT model. What's new? Internet connectivity. Previously, this was a distinct advantage held by Google's Bard, but no longer. Last March, OpenAI unveiled the concept of ChatGPT plugins and said ChatGPT would be able to search the web. It set up a waitlist for users and developers interested in testing the feature. These features have now transitioned into beta for the ChatGPT4 model of ChatGPT, making them more widely available. The move appears to have been fast-tracked, likely in response to Google Bard's release and its accompanying features. The web browsing feature also pits ChatGPT against Microsoft Bing, which is free and uses ChatGPT just like OpenAI's model. For ChatGPT plus subscribers, the path to enabling this feature lies in the account settings. Within the beta features tab, users can activate the internet connection option, therefore unlocking the ability to request real-time information during their chat sessions. This feature's potential is vast, making the model able to surf the web and get the latest information on almost anything. The catch? It's only available to a select few as it undergoes its beta phase, meaning not all ChatGPT plus users will have access at this stage. Also, OpenAI has not clarified if it has any control over what sources are being used by ChatGPT. We tried to ask it what we consider unethical questions and search for pieces of information available on fake news sites, and our efforts were unsuccessful. In a side-by-side -side comparison by Decrypt, the three chatbots, ChatGPT, Bard, and Bing, were asked to provide the current price of Bitcoin. The results demonstrated, was demonstrated some differences in their capabilities. While ChatGPT provided a near-accurate response using Coinbase as a reference, Bard offered a result based on its own sources, and Bing referred to Google and CoinMarketCap data, even including the USD to Brazilian real exchange rate as the query was made from Brazil. <clears throat> Google Bard and Bing outpaced ChatGPT, not only in the speed of their responses, but also in the depth of information provided. Both provided instant responses and included additional details such as intraday fluctuations, high and low prices, trading volume, and price changes, elements currently missing from ChatGPT's responses. However, ChatGPT was quite capable in tasks that required more creative results like summarizing or explaining news articles. Despite these disparities, OpenAI's move to include internet connectivity in ChatGPT is a significant stride in the AI chatbot contest. While it's true that the plus benefits might be achievable for free with other models, ChatGPT's ability to access real-time data gives it a fighting chance. This is just another leg in the ongoing AI race one that is far from its finish line. So, yeah, it's happening. And it may be scary. And, it, you know, well, it is scary. But, you know, fear for some is elation for others. One man's trash is another man's treasure, right? Again, that's how we know it's a tool. We don't, I know that it's not evil. I also know that it's not heaven sent. 
It just is. It's a tool. And the reason that I know it's a tool is because it's just completely neutral. It can go either way. It can be used for ill. It can be used for good. Depends on who's using it and for what reasons. If you want to help guide how this moves, then figure out how to use this stuff and use it for good. That's all you got to do. That's all you have to do. That doesn't mean that it'll make it good automatically. It just means that at least you'll put tension in the system and do that tug of war and tug for your side. Don't tug for evil, tug for good. But the problem is that we're talking about open AI, the company, or at least the, whatever they call it, the, well, I guess the company, let's just call it the company. This is Sam Altman fried. <laughs> we had Sam Bankman fried. Now we got Sam Altman, who I'm now calling Sam Altman fried because I just think it's the same person. This guy is the dude behind WorldCoin. What does WorldCoin do? They give you free money if you scan your iris in this little silver orb that looks like the Palantir from Lord of the Rings. If you've ever read that series of books, you know what I'm talking about. And it's not good. And here, here he is sitting in front of Sen the Senate on AI safety. And I'll read, read what Tristan Green has written about that exchange from Cointelegraph. Sam Altman, the CEO of OpenAI and co-founder of WorldCoin, recently testified before Congress alongside IBM's chief of trust, Christina Montgomery, and NYU professor Gary Marcus. The Senate Judiciary Privacy Technology and the Law Subcommittee session represented Altman's first official appearance before Congress, giving senators the opportunity to question the OpenAI CEO concerning his company's views on regulation. Dubbed a historic session by Illinois' Senator Dick Durbin, the proceedings focused on understanding the potential threats posed by generative artificial intelligence models such as ChatGPT and how lawmakers should approach, of course, regulation. Altman's comments, which were described by congressional members and fellow Speaker Marcus as seeming sincere and genuine, appeared to take several Senate members by surprise. He advocated for the establishment of a federal oversight agency with the authority to issue and revoke development licenses, stated that he believed creators should be compensated when their work is used to train an AI system, and agreed that consumers who suffer harm using AI products should be entitled to sue the developer. Altman shrugged off questions related to the recent AI pause letter calling for a six-month moratorium on the deployment of systems more powerful than GPT-4, the AI system underpinning ChatGPT, by stating that OpenAI had spent longer than six months evaluating GPT-4 before deployment. He said the company has no plans to deploy another model within the next six months. Marcus, a signatory of the pause letter, admitted he agreed more to the spirit of the letter than its contents, but the NYU professor urged Congress to consider global oversight as well as federal regulation, a sentiment Altman agreed with. Throughout the hearing, the three guest speakers aligned on most topics. This included support for privacy prosecutions, greater government oversight, third-party auditing, and how soon the United States government should seek to regulate the industry. However, one of the lone sources of discord came from IBM's Montgomery, who disagreed with the notion that a new federal agency would be necessary to enforce regulations in the AI industry. 
Her statements indicated that IBM is in favor of a surgical approach to regulation using current existing regulatory bodies to focus enforcement on specific use cases. While all three speakers agreed that AI could be harmful and required safety interventions, Marcus made it clear he believes nobody currently understands or can predict how harmful existing AI products can be or will become. He advocated for a cautious approach involving greater transparency. The speakers also agreed with members of Congress that the United States needed a national privacy law similar to those in Europe. Altman, however, disagreed with the notion that consumers should be able to opt out of having their publicly available web data included in training data sets. Altman also wouldn't go on the record to state that OpenAI was opposed to offering an ad-based version of its GPT products. The CEO simply stated that he wouldn't say never. This, despite saying earlier in the hearing that OpenAI's products adhered to consumer privacy standards because the company didn't build user profiles for the purposes of serving tailored advertisements. Citing his experience as a Stanford graduate and lawmaker working with decentralized finance and Web3 companies, New Jersey Senator Cory Booker brought up the grander privacy issue of centralization. He asked, what the implications for centralization and monopolization would be for the industry, a question Marcus responded to with the grave warning that the country could be risking giving control over the public perception to a small number of actors, the leading AI companies with enough money to compete with Microsoft, Google, and Amazon. Altman, whose WorldCoin project combines a decentralized cryptocurrency, pausing to say, that shit ain't decentralized at all. That's a lie. Combines a decentralized cryptocurrency asset on the Ethereum blockchain with identity authentication via iris scanning technology explain that OpenAI merely provides a platform and that the democratization of OpenAI's products occurs when developers, companies, and end users adapt the GPT API for, quote, fantastic uses. All right, so this shit's coming. And there's nothing I can do to stop it. There's nothing you can do to stop it. There's no regulation that can stop it. Why? Because a lot of this stuff is open source. You know, clearly you got to pay for chat GPT 4 plus or whatever. But there are other models out there. This is a model that can be built in a basement. I used to, there was a television show, I think in the early 80s. It had uh, the guy from, uh, uh, what was his name, Griffin, uh, Griffith, the Andy Griffith Show, all right? Remember the, well, you, you don't remember the Andy Griffith Show if you're any younger than I am, but Andy Griffith, after the Andy Griffith Show in the 60s and 70s, he went on to do another show about a guy who built his own rocket in his backyard. <laughs> it, it didn't do well. Uh, the, the series didn't do well. I think it lasted all of, you know, half a season or one season. But I mean, think about the expense of building your own rocket that's capable of going into low or high earth orbit and possibly going to the moon. That's just not something that anybody can do. Almost anybody can do this. Why? Because it takes a good size, you know, a decent sized computer, but not unaffordable and the willingness to learn and not being stupid. And what I mean by stupid is the inability to learn. Anybody can do this. 
and anybody will do this. That's what's going to happen. See, that's not that's why the regulation doesn't matter. It's the same thing with Bitcoin. It's the same thing with Noster. And that's why I have to think that this this could be good and not ultimately evil. But again, it's up to you, it's up to me, it's up to everybody else. How are we going to use it? This the opening statement <clears throat> or the statements that apparently shocked the judiciary committee um was let's see what did he, what do he say the historic session as dick durbin put it uh, altman's comments appeared to take several senate members by surprise because he advocated for the establishment of a federal oversight agency with the authority to issue and revoke development licenses that's regulatory moat He's building a regulatory moat. He doesn't want anybody else to be able to do this shit. He wants only himself and maybe his, maybe he's got friends at Google, Amazon, IBM, and whatever. And they're, they're just, they all want it siloed. And they're using the United States government. They're stroking the U.S. government's ego to get their regulatory moat in place, which means that if I, maybe in the future, I start working on my own AI, I get like some open source AI and I pull it down from GitHub. And then all of a sudden there's Mr. Bennett, we see that you've, you've downloaded illegal content in the form of uh, a version of chat GPT. We're here to take you to jail. Don't laugh. Don't laugh. That shit can happen. That shit could happen. Is it going to make a hill of difference in the development of privatized AI? And when I mean privatized AI, I mean guys sitting in their basement doing it themselves and releasing it to the world because that's the only way that you combat what's coming is you build, you build other versions, you build it for other uses and you allow anybody to have it. Free open source AI is coming. And it has to, because it's the only balance that we're going to have against Sam Altman fried and his buddies over at Microsoft, Amazon, Google, because they will regulatory moat their ass onto an island and they will just make your lives miserable because they don't care about you. They don't care about the United States government. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. You're their enemy. The government is their enemy, but that means that they can use their enemy to build a regulatory moat around what they're doing. Because think about it this way. He believes that creators should be compensated for their work in their use to train an AI system. So there's possibly some copyright infringement that might happen, but that consumers who suffer harm using AI products should be entitled to sue the developer. Okay. They just put themselves up as a sacrificial offering to the United States government, but they have no intention of suffering harm because the next set of regulations after regulatory moting occurs will be protectionism the same way that we gave protectionism to who? To vaccination or vaccine manufacturers like Pfizer, GlaxoSmithKline, the whole lot of them. You get hurt by a vaccine, sorry, you can't sue them. You suffer serious harm or a death of a loved one because of a vaccine, well, Pfizer, they, they, they don't worry about it because they have absolute protectionism. It's the same model. 
playing out the same way with the same people using the same tactics. And if you put your head in the sand on this, you're not helping. Don't, don't, don't do that. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. Got a joke for this hump day. Dad says jokes. What are the two steps to marrying a country girl? First, a tractor. Next, fertilizer. You know, you let that one bounce around your head for a little while. Um, yeah, don't sleep on AI. Don't do it. I, I cannot tell you how dangerous this could become through inaction, right? There's a, there's a, a, a the Episcopal, uh, in the Episcopal church, there's a, uh, a prayer for forgiveness. It's basically like a confession of sin, except that you do it as a group instead of going into a confessional and talking about particular sins, right? It's just, it's just a thing. Anyway, the prayer at one point or another says, forgive me for the things that I have done and for the things that I have not done. Left, you know, basically left undone. And that, the left undone part is the part that always gets me when I, you know, con- confess sins at, at church. It's the things that I've done and the things that I've, you know, forgive me for the things that I've done and the things that I've left undone. Because, the, and I think that it hits me most because I, I recognize it as more important than the things that I've done. The shit that I didn't do, I think has a more has more impact on my life and the lives of others than transgressions that I might have made in the past. And this is one of them. Do not let this be undone. Learn about it. Don't bury your head in the sand about it. If it's frightening to you, like you're, I don't know, like let's say you write copy, you're in danger. You just are. And you're in danger faster than you think. So what do you do about it? You learn everything that you can on how to use AI to help you do your job and understand it because that puts you in a position of at least saying, it's like your boss comes up to you and says, yeah, we're thinking about letting the whole copywriting crew go because of ChatGPT. Then you can say, uh, I've, been, I've been working with ChatGPT on writing copy for you know X amount of months and it's my sole purpose at this point to understand it as, as much as I possibly can and apply it to my job. Well, you may be the only copywriter out of a group of 10 that survived that because the other nine didn't bother to learn anything about how AI works or ChatGPT, how it can be used to further your employment goals. Don't, don't just nobody's coming to save you on this. There's not going to be a moratorium on development. And, and, and why didn't they ask for a moratorium on its deployment and development? No, they just, the letter that was written that got all that fanfare a few weeks back, they just talked about pausing development of the tech. They said nothing about pausing its deployment and it's being deployed. It's, it's happening right now. 
I have not used ChatGPT in any part of this show. I might start using examples. And I, but I mean, I might f- pretend that I'm like, oh God, I just don't want to go search for all this shit today. Do me a favor, collect the top 10, you know, articles and, and, and just to see what it comes up with. Because that's the only way that I can think of as a first entry point into learning how this shit works. Because I don't, I like, like, I got to ask a question. Why did you start the Bitcoin and podcast? I don't want to be left behind. I, I got left behind, you know, because I didn't recognize what the, what the internet was. I mean, I was of age and I just didn't see it because I was wrapped up in other bullshit. I am not wrapped up in that bullshit this time. I'm not going to be left behind. I am not going to let chat GPT or open AI or the rest of these models run away from me because they are moving at a breakneck pace. The, da- the most dangerous thing about AI at this point is you not figuring out how to use it for yourself. Because you will be one of the people that just don't know anything about it. And nobody that, that puts you in the cut them loose category almost immediately. So just be aware. Understand that you have just as many hours in the day as anybody else does. And you've got to figure out how to fit learning about this into it. Because otherwise... You're going to be like all the no coiners out there that don't have any Bitcoin whatsoever. You're going to be like all the guys that refuse to go over to Noster and get and figure out how to use public private key pairs for your identity on multiple clients servicing the same protocol. You're going to be left behind. You do not want, you don't want that. So lightning. So here's my four, here's the four things that are going to change the world and they're going to end up working in concert. Bitcoin, layer two on Bitcoin, like Lightning Network. Noster as a communications and marketing protocol, sale point of sale protocol, and sadly, artificial intelligence. Hate it all you want, but those are the four horsemen of the coming apocalypse because it will burn down everybody that is not prepared for it. Don't take that as negative just be on be the one riding the wave and not the one that is in front of it that's going to get lunched by it if you can get on the wave you'll be fine and i'll see you on the other side this has been bitcoin and and i'm your host david bennett i hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon have a great day